0: Chapter Fourteen of Discoveries Among the Ruins of Nineveh and Babylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Discoveries Among the Ruins of Nineveh and Babylon by Austin Layard. Chapter Fourteen. Liwabn, the Banks of the Khabur, Artificial Mounds. Midgewell, the Caddy of the Bedouins, the Thar, or Blood Revenge, Caution of Arabs, a natural cavern, an extinct volcano, the Confluence of the Cabor, Bedouin marks, Suleiman Aga, encampment at Umjege, the Turkish Irregular Cavalry, Mound of Mijdel, Ruins of the Cabor, Mohammed Emin leaves us, visit to kurdish tents and harem the Kurds, the family of rishwan arab love-making the dakil bedouin poets and poetry turkish cavalry horses the hot weather was rapidly drawing near enough had not been discovered in the mound of arban nor were there ruins of sufficient importance near the river to induce me to remain much longer on the I wished, however, to explore the stream, as far as I was able, towards its principal source, and to visit Suleiman Aga, the Turkish commander, who was now encamped on its banks. In answer to a letter, he urged me to come to his tents, and to bring the sheikh of the jabors with me, pledging himself to place no restraint whatever on the perfect liberty of the chief. With such a guarantee... I ventured to invite Mohammed Emin to accompany me. After much hesitation, arising from a very natural fear of treachery, he consented to do so. On the 19th of April, we crossed the Kaboor, and on the following morning, we commenced our journey to the eastward. Mohammed Emin was still in doubt as to whether he should go with me or not, but at last, after more than once turning back, he took a desperate resolution and pushed his mare boldly forward his children commended him with tears to my protection and then left our caravan for their tents we rode from bend to bend of the river without following its tortuous course its banks are belted with poplars tamarisks and brushwood the retreat of wild boars francolins, and other game and studded with artificial mounds the remains of ancient settlements this deserted though rich and fertile district must at one time have been the seat of a dense population it is only under such a government as that of turkey that it could remain a wilderness the first large ruin above arban and some miles from it on the left bank of the river is called mishnak about one mile and a half beyond it is another ruin called abu shala and three miles further up the stream a third called tauban upon which are the remains of a modern fort after a short day's journey of four hours and a half we encamped near a large mound named melabia next morning sutem returned to his tents with ratha leaving us under the care of his younger brother midwell after i had visited the turkish commander whom he did not appear over-anxious to meet he was to join us in the desert and accompany me to mosul mitchwell was even of a more amiable disposition than his brother and although he could neither read nor write he was one of the cadis or judges of the shammah an office hereditary in the family of the sadi at the head of which is rishwan the old man had delegated the dignity to his younger son who by the consent of his brothers will enjoy it after their father's death disputes of all kinds are referred to these recognized judges their decrees are obeyed with readiness, and the other members of the tribe are rarely called upon to enforce them. They administer rude justice, and although pretending to follow the words of the Prophet, are rather guided by ancient custom than by the law of the Koran, which binds the rest of the Mohammedan world. The most common source of litigation is, of course, stolen property. They receive for their decrees payment in money or in kind and he who gains the suit has to pay the fee. Amongst the Shammah, if the dispute relates to a Delul, the Caddy gets two gazees, about eight shillings, if to a mare, a Delul, if to a man, a mare. Various ordeals, such as licking a red iron, are in use to prove a man's innocence. If the accused tongue is burnt, no doubt exists as to his guilt. One of the most remarkable laws in force amongst the wandering Arabs, and one probably of the highest antiquity, is the law of blood, called the Thar, prescribing the degrees of consanguinity within which it is lawful to revenge a homicide. Although a law, rendering a man responsible for bloodshed by anyone related to him within the fifth degree, may appear to members of a civilized community one of extraordinary rigor, and involving almost manifest injustice it must nevertheless be admitted that no power vested in any one individual and no punishment however severe could tend more to the maintenance of order and the prevention of bloodshed amongst the wild tribes of the desert as burkhard has justly remarked this salutary institution has contributed in a greater degree than any other circumstance to prevent the warlike tribes of Arabia from exterminating one another. If a man commit a homicide, the cadi endeavours to prevail upon the family of the victim to accept a compensation for the blood in money or in kind, the amount being regulated according to custom in different tribes. Should the offer of blood money be refused, the Thar comes into operation, and any person within the Komzi or the fifth degree of blood of the homicide, may be legally killed by anyone within the same degree of consanguinity to the victim Midwell now took sutem's place in the caravan and directed the order of our march leaving the caravan to pursue the direct road i struck across the country to the hill of Kukab, accompanied by mohammed emin and Midwell. this remarkable cone rising in the midst of the plain had been visible from our furthest point on the kabor some of the arabs declared it to be an artificial mound others said that it was a mountain of stones mohammed emin would tell me of a subterranean lake beneath it in a cavern large enough to afford refuge to any number of men after descending some fifty feet into the cave we found ourselves in the margin of a lake of fresh water the pitchy darkness prevented our ascertaining its size which could not have been very great although the arabs declared that no one could reach the opposite side the cave is frequently a place of refuge for the wandering arabs and the bedouins encamp near it in summer to drink the cool water of this natural reservoir leaving the cavern and issuing from the ravine we came to the edge of a wide crater in the centre of which rose the remarkable cone of the cucarbe all around were evidences of the remains of an extinct volcano which had been active within a comparatively recent geological period even perhaps within the time of history or tradition as the name of the mound among the arabs denotes a jet of fire or flame as well as a constellation i ascended the cone which is about three hundred feet high and composed entirely of loose lava scoria and ashes thus resembling precisely the cone rising in the craters of vesuvius and etna it is steep and difficult of ascent except on one side where the summit is easily reached even by horses within for it is hollow it resembles an enormous funnel broken away at one edge as if a molten stream had burst through it anemones and poppies of the brightest scarlet hue covered its sides although the dry lava and loose ashes scarcely seem to have collected sufficient soil to nourish their roots it would be difficult to describe the richness and brilliancy of this mass of flowers the cone from a distance having the appearance of a huge inverted cup of burnished copper over which poured streams of blood from the summit of cucurb i gazed upon a scene as varied and extensive beneath me the two principal branches of the cabor united their waters to the left or the west was the true Kabor, the Chabaras of the ancients, a name it bears from its source at Razal Ain, i.e., the head of the spring. The second stream, that to the east, is the ancient Middonias, flowing through Nizibin. Kertunia and its lake were just visible, backed by the solitary hill of the Sinjar. The Kurdish mountains bounded the view to the east in the plain and on the banks of the rivers rose many artificial mounds whilst in the extreme distance to the north could be distinguished the flocks and black tents of a large wandering tribe they were those of the kichi and mili kurds encamped with the turkish commander sulemin Aga. we found our companions near the junction of the rivers where a raft had been constructed to enable us to cross the smaller stream i had sent the Berakdar two days before to apprise suleiman Aga of my intended visit and to learn how far i could with safety take mohammed emin with me to the turkish camp he had returned and was waiting for me the agar had given a satisfactory guarantee for the sheikh's safety and had sent an officer with a party of irregular troops to receive me we had scarcely crossed the river before a large body of horsemen were seen approaching us as they drew nigh i recognized in the turkish commander an old friend the topal or lame suleiman agar as he was generally called in the country he had been kaya or lieutenant-governor to the celebrated Inje barakdar mohammed pasha and like his former master possessed considerable intelligence energy and activity from his long connection with the tribes of the desert his knowledge of their manners and his skill in detecting and devising treacheries and stratagems he was generally chosen to lead expeditions against the arabs he was now as i have stated endeavouring to recover the government treasure plundered by the hamoud bedouins his tents were about six miles distant and after exchanging the usual salutations, we turned towards them. Many fair speeches could scarcely calm the fears of the timid Jabbour sheikh. Midwell, on the other hand, rode boldly along, casting contemptuous glances at the irregular cavalry as they galloped to and fro in mimic combat. The delta, formed by the two streams, was covered with tents. We wended our way through crowds of sheep, horses cattle and camels suleiman agar lived under the spacious canvas of the chief of the chichi kurds the tents of the kurdish tribes who wander in the low country at the foot of the mountains in winter and spring and seek the hill pastures in the summer and especially those of the principal men are remarkable for their size and the richness of their carpets and furniture they are often divided into as many as four or five distinct compartments by screens of light cane or reeds bound together with many-coloured woollen threads disposed in elegant patterns and devices carpets hung above these screens complete the divisions in the tents of the great chiefs there is a separate compartment for the servants and one for the mares and colts i sat a short time with suleiman agar drank coffee smoked and listened patiently to a long discourse on the benefits of tanzimat which had put an end to bribes treachery and irregular taxation especially intended for mohammed emin who was however by no means reassured by it i then adjourned to my own tents which had been pitched upon the banks of the river opposite a well-wooded island and near a ledge of rocks forming one of those beautiful falls of water so frequent in this part of the kabor we were encamped near the foot of a large artificial tell called umjerje and on the opposite side of the kabor were other mans of the same name my Jabur workmen began to excavate the ruins the day after our arrival i remained in my tent to receive the visits of the kurdish chiefs and of the Haita bashish or commanders of the irregular cavalry From these freebooters I have derived much curious and interesting information relating to the various provinces of the Turkish Empire and their inhabitants, mingled with pleasant anecdotes and vivid descriptions of men and manners. They are generally very intelligent, frank and hospitable, although too often unscrupulous and cruel. They unite many of the good qualities of the old Turkish soldier with most of his vices, they love hard drinking and gambling, staking their horses, arms, and even clothes on the most childish game of chance. Their pay at the same time is miserably small, rarely exceeding a few shillings a month, and they are obliged to plunder the peaceable inhabitants to supply their actual wants. The race is now fast disappearing before the Nizam, or regular troops. On the second day, accompanied by Midwell. I visited a large mound, called Midjdel on the right bank of the river, about five miles above Umjajay. It is a lofty platform, surrounded by groups of smaller mounds, amongst which may still be traced the lines of trees and canals. It is about four or five miles from the ridge of Abdul-ul-Aziz. These low hills, scantily wooded with dwarf oak, are broken into innumerable valleys and ravines, which abound, it is said, with wild goats, boars, leopards, and other animals. According to my Bedouin informants, the ruins of ancient towns and villages still exist, but they could only give me the name of one, Zakara. On the opposite side of the Kabor, and running parallel with the Abdul-ul-Aziz range, is another line of small hills, called Hama, in which there are many wells, the Shamar Bedouins encamp on the banks of this part of the Kabor during the hot months. The Mound of the Midjdel is a favourite resort of the Borage in the eye of the summer. The waters of the river are always cool, and there is sufficient pasture for the flocks and herds of the whole tribe. An Arab, whom I met in the tent of one of the Haita Bashis, pretended that he was well acquainted with the ruins called Veran of which i had so frequently heard from the natives of mardin and the shammah he described them as being on a hill three days distant from our encampment and to consist of columns buildings and sculptured stones like those of Palmyra. in the evening mohammed emin left us suleiman Aga had already invested him with a robe of honour and had prevailed upon him to join with faran in taking measures for the recovery of the plundered treasure the scarlet cloak and civil treatment had conciliated the Djibout chief, and when he parted with the Turkish commander in my tent, there was an unusual display of mutual compliments and pledges of eternal friendship. Mijwa looked on with indignant contempt, swearing between his teeth that all Djibout's were but degenerate, ploughing Arabs, and cursing the whole order of Terminars. We were detained at Umjirjeh, several days by the severe illness of mr homer's Razam, i took the opportunity to visit the tents of the mili whose chief Muza aga had invited us to a feast the spacious tent of the chief was divided by partitions of reeds tastefully interwoven with coloured wool the coolest part of the salamlik had been prepared for our reception and was spread with fine carpets and silken cushions the chief and his brothers, followed by their servants bearing trays loaded with cups, presented the coffee to their guests. After some conversation, we went to the harem and were received by his mother, a venerable lady with long silvery locks and a dignified countenance and demeanor. Her dress was of the purest white and scrupulously clean. Altogether, she was almost the only comely woman I had seen amongst eastern tribes the wives and daughters of the chiefs with a crowd of women were collected in the tent but it was evident at a glance that they were of a different race from the wandering tribes of the desert the principal ladies led us into the private compartment divided by coloured screens from the rest of the tent it was furnished with more than usual luxury the cushions were of the choicest silk and the carpets in the manufacture of which the milliers excel of the best fabric sweetmeats and coffee had been prepared for us and the women did not object to partake of them at the same time musa aga's mother described the various marriage ceremonies of the tribe our account of similar matters in europe excited great amusement among the ladies the millie girls are highly prized by the Kurds. twenty purses nearly a hundred shillings we were boastingly told "'had been given for one of unusual attractions. "'The chief pointed out one of his own wives "'who had cost him that sum. "'Other members of the same establishment "'had deserved a less extravagant investiture of money. "'The prettiest girls were called before us, "'and the old lady appraised each, "'amidst the loud laughter of their companions, "'who no doubt rejoiced to see their friends "'valued at their true worth. "'They were all tattooed on the arms.' and on other parts of the body but less so than the bedouin ladies the kurdish ladies do not like the musulmal women of the town conceal their features with a veil nor do they object to mingle or even eat with the men during my stay at Umjeje. i invited the harem of the chichi chief and their friends to a feast in my tent an invitation they accepted with every sign of satisfaction The Mili were formerly one of the wealthiest Kurdish tribes, but they were wantonly plundered, and almost reduced to want, by the Turkish troops three years ago. Although the port openly condemned the outrage, and had promised compensation, no step whatever had been taken to restore the stolen property, the greater part of which had passed into the government treasury. Midgewell, during our visit, had been seated in a corner, his eyes wandering from the tent and its furniture to the horses and mares picketed without and to the flocks pasturing around. He cast, every now and then, significant glances towards me which said plainly enough, All this ought to belong to the Bedouins. These people and their property were made for gazoos. As we rode away, I accused him of evil intentions. Billah ya, bej, said he, There is, indeed, enough to make a man's heart grow white with envy. But I have now eaten his bread under your shadow, and should even his stick, wherewith he drives his camel, fall into my hand, I would send it to him. He entertained me as we returned home with the domestic affairs of his family. Rathaya had offered herself in marriage to Sutum, and not he to her. A common proceeding, it would appear, among the Bedouins, mitchwell rather looked upon his brother with pity as a hen-pecked husband he himself although already married to one wife and betrothed to Marzi, whom he would soon be able to claim was projecting a third marriage his heart had been stolen by an unseen damsel whose beauties and virtues had been the theme of some wandering arab rhymers and she was of the fedem Anizar, the mortal enemies of the shamar Her father was the sheikh of the tribe, and his tents were on the other side of the Euphrates. The difficulties and dangers of the courtship served only to excite still more the ardent mind of the Bedouin. His romantic imagination had pictured a perfection of loveliness. His whole thoughts were now occupied in devising the means of possessing this treasure. He had already apprised the girl of his love by a trusty messenger, one of her own tribe, living with the shamar and she had at last promised him her hand if he could claim her in her own tent Midwell had now planned a scheme which he was eager to put into execution waiting until the fedan were so encamped that he could approach them without being previously seen he would mount his de Loul, and leading his best mare ride to the tent of the girl's father meat would of course be laid before him and having eaten he would be the guest, and under the protection of the sheikh. On the following morning he would present his mare, describing her race and qualities to his host, and ask his daughter, offering at the same time to add any other gift that might be thought worthy of her. The father, who would probably not be ignorant of what had passed between the lovers, would at once consent to the union, and give back the mare to his future son-in-law, the marriage would shortly afterwards be solemnized and an alliance would thus be formed between the two tribes such was mitchwell's plan and it was one not unfrequently adopted by bedouins under similar circumstances the laws of de another very remarkable branch of bedouin legislation enforced amongst the shammah are nearly the same as those of the anizah and hedjaz arabs of which burckhardt has given so full and interesting an account i have little therefore to add upon the subject but its importance demands a few words no customs are more religiously respected by the true arab than those regulating the mutual relations of the protected and protector a violation of dakil as this law is called would be considered a disgrace not only upon the individual but upon his family and even upon his tribe, which never could be wiped out. No greater insult can be offered to a man or to his clan than to say that he has broken the tekil. A disregard of this sacred obligation is the first symptom of degeneracy in an Arab tribe, and when once it exists, the treachery and vices of the Turk rapidly succeed to the honesty and fidelity of the true Arab character the relations between the dakil and the Dakal, or the protector and protected arise from a variety of circumstances the principle of which are eating a man's salt and bread and claiming his protection by doing certain acts or repeating a certain formula of words amongst the shema if a man can seize the end of a string or thread the other end of which is held by his enemy he immediately becomes his dakil If he touch the canvas of a tent, or can even throw his mace towards it, he is the Takil of its owner. If he can spit upon a man, or touch any article belonging to him with his teeth, he is dakal, unless, of course, in case of theft, it be the person who caught him. A woman can protect any number of persons, or even of tents. If a horseman ride into a tent, he and his horse are dakal. A stranger who is eaten with a shamar can give Dakhil to his enemy. For instance, I could protect any Anyazar, though there is blood between his tribe and the shamar. According to Midgewell. any person by previously calling out Nufo, I renounce, may reject an application for Dakil. An Arab who has given his protection to another, whether formally, or by an act which confers the privilege of dakil, is bound to protect his dakal under all circumstances, even to the risk of his own property and life. I could relate many instances of the greatest sacrifices having been made by individuals, and even of whole tribes having been involved in war with powerful enemies by whom they have been almost utterly destroyed, in defence of this most sacred obligation even the turkish rulers respect a law to which they may one day owe their safety and more than one haughty pasha of baghdad has found refuge and protection in the tent of a poor arab sheikh whom during the days of his prosperity he had subjected to every injury and wrong and yet who would then defy the government itself and risk his very life rather than surrender his guest the essence of arab virtue is a respect for the laws of hospitality of which the dakil in all its various forms is but a part among the bedouins who watched our camels was one Saud, a poet of renown amongst the tribes with the exception of a few ballads that he had formerly composed in honour of Sufuk and other celebrated shamar sheikhs he chiefly recited extemporary stanzas on passing events or on persons who were present. He would sit in my tent of an evening, and sing his verses in a wild, though plaintive, strain, to the great delight of the assembled guests, and particularly of Midgwell, who, like a true Bedouin, was easily affected by poetry, especially with such as might touch his own passion for the unknown lady. When the bard improvised an amatory ditty, the young chief's excitement was almost beyond control the other bedouins were scarcely less moved by these rude measures which have the same kind of effect on the wild tribes of the persian mountains such verses chanted by their self-taught poets or by the girls of their encampment will drive warriors to the combat fearless of death or prove an ample reward on their return from the dangers of the gazoo or the fight the excitement they produce exceeds that of the grape he who would understand the influence of the homeric ballad in the heroic ages should witness the effect which similar compositions have upon the wild nomads of the east the art of improvising seems innate in the bedouin although his metre and modes of recitation are rude to european ears his rich and sonorous language lends itself to this species of poetry Whilst his exuberant imagination furnishes him with endless beautiful and appropriate allegories, the wars between the tribes, the Gazoo, and their struggles with the Turks are inexhaustible themes for verse, and in an Arab tent there is little else to afford excitement or amusement. The Bedouins have no books, even a Koran is seldom seen amongst them. It is equally rare to find a wandering Arab who can read. They have no written literature and their traditional history consists of a little more than the tales of a few storytellers who wander from encampment to encampment and earn their bread by chanting verses to the monotonous tones of a one-stringed fiddle made of a gourd covered with sheepskin the day of our departure now drew nigh and suleiman agar to do us honour invited us to a general review of the irregular troops under his command the horsemen of the mili and Kichi kurds and of the arab tribes who encamped with them joined the turkish cavalry and added to the interest and beauty of the display the Bashish were as usual resplendent in silk and gold there were some high-bred horses in the field but the men on the whole were badly mounted and the irregular cavalry is daily degenerating throughout the empire the turkish government have unwisely neglected a branch of their national armies to which they owed most of their great victories and at one time their superiority over all their neighbours the abolition of the Spahilix and other military tenures has of course contributed much to this result and has led to the deterioration of that excellent breed of horses which once distinguished the ottoman light cavalry no effort is now made by the government to keep up the race and the scanty pay of the irregular troops is not sufficient to enable them to obtain even second-rate animals everything has been sacrificed to the regular army undoubtedly an essential element of national defense but in a future war the Turks will probably find reason to regret that they have altogether sacrificed it to the ancient irregular horse. The Kurds, although encumbered by their long flowing garments and huge turbans, are not bad horsemen. Midgewell, however, as he scanned the motley crowd with his eagle eye, included them all in one expression of ineffable contempt. End of chapter fourteen. Recording by Florence.